I'd like to introduce you now to producer Gary Kurtz. Oh. And the star of the film, Mark Hamill, plays Luke Skywalker. Yes. I want to throw ground glass into this, but are you people actually intending to uh, lay, us, lay on us a cliched plot again? It's marvelous special effects, but where the hell is the plot in any of these science fiction movies? Depends on what you mean by plot. This is this is an action adventure story. It's set in outer space, just like John Carter Hello. from Mars or Flash Gordon or or any other action adventure. It's not a science-oriented story. Yes. How do you handle those light swords for the movie? Very carefully. How do you use with? How do you use them when you fight with them? Well, they're 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 used like samurai swords are. They're large swords. You don't duel with them like Three Musketeers style. Has a decision been made about a composer for the film? Yes, John Williams is a composer. He did Jaws. <laughs> the score will be. We hope that the score will be uh, uh, a large orchestra, romantic score in the Max Steiner, Ernst Korngold, Alfred Newman tradition. There's no electronic music. I love science fiction. <laughs> and I'm not saying that just to be popular. This is my fourth convention. It's the only, the first one I've been invited to. And all the others I paid for and got there myself. And uh, I like to work. And I, I love Star Wars. All right, thank you very much for turning out, and we hope you'll come and see the film. We have some sheets up here if anybody's interested in the film, too. Information sheets. This is Jason. And it's Gabe. And this week we are talking about Bantha Tracks, the Star Wars fan club, the original unifying force of Star Wars fandom, the amazing Bantha Tracks. Yeah, before there was Star Wars Insider, before there was StarWars.com, before there was Star Wars Gamer Magazine, before there was <laughs> Star Wars Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> there was. Bantha Tracks. And it's crazy because it was just about almost exactly a year ago in episode 174 that we talked about kind of this similar time as Bantha Tracks getting started with the birth of Star Wars fandom with the, with the fanzines, the whole fanzine movement. Like the first organization of kind of Star Wars fandom in those early fanzines, which were what 95%, I think was it, I think the looking for Leia documentary said it was 95% uh, driven by female fans, which is still like not talked about enough at all. But there was also at that same time, like this kind of official side of fandom, which is super crazy because of like when we were getting ready for this episode, I was trying to think like there was no official Star Trek fan club at that time. There was no Planet of the Apes fan club, no like $6 million man fan club or anything, you know? <laughs> like, and I wonder if the 
formation of the official Star Wars fan club was almost kind of a reaction to the the only thing you can kind of compare it to, kind of like the Zines episode, was Star Trek at that time, and that Star Trek kind of was like the Wild West of bootlegs and wildness and no like official news source coming out. Yeah, I wonder if it was just them being at least Star Wars aware that there was fans and because they were so focused on merchandising that there was an awareness of that of the desire of people for Star Wars stuff because they were Lucasfilm was kind of supportive of at least Bantha tracks in the fan club as far as giving them interviews and release dates when the films would come out and concept art and, and pictures and things to kind of promote the movie. Like, was it just that Lucasfilm was, I don't know, more tuned into that than, than anything Star Trek was, which kind of seems the same to this day as far as. Well, yeah. <laughs> the whole kind of thing of Bantha tracks, the Bantha tracks kind of was like an official zine in a way, because like, for people that are kind of unfamiliar with the whole kind of zine thing, it was like Bantha Tracks was almost like like a newsletter, like a, a quarterly newsletter that would have, yeah, information on straight from the source. Like, hey, here's what's going on with The Empire Strikes Back. Here's where you want to, if you want to send Anthony Daniels like a fan letter, here's where you send it or Mark Hamill or something. Here's information on products that are coming out. Kind of an official word instead of just fans that like ran into DeForest Kelly in a hallway at a convention <laughs> in Oklahoma or something, which they, you know, that has a charm too. Well, and it's also like slightly different than promoting things in other people's publications. Like it wasn't, it's a little different than, you know, having an article in Starlog or something in the newspaper. Like it was just for the fans basically, and you had to sign up to get this newsletter and it it was very tailored to what the fans wanted and not, not a general audience kind of thing, which, yeah, which is amazing. Like going back through the old issues of Bantha tracks and the topics they cover and the people they talk to, it's still the people that are still talked about to this day. And it's the only Bantha tracks back then was doing like, here's an interview with Dennis Muren. Or we're going to show you Ben Burt. And let's talk about Ben Burt. So many times, like we talked about, like uh, in the last episode when we had Phil Shostak on, talking about the power of like them being so transparent with the documentaries, like the making of Star Wars and from Star Wars to Jedi and all that stuff, spotlighting these behind-the-scenes people and showing us behind the curtain. And then you think of like the Disney Gallery show now, where it's every single week we're going crazy in depth on how the magic is made. And I don't know, I feel like that all started with Bantha Tracks. Yeah, I think you're right. And it is kind of like it was, it's smart in a way because it basically it lets, you know, people who are very excited about your movie and obsessed with your movie and instead of, you know, if you can't give them more movie, you can at least point them in the direction of the people who made this thing that they're, they love so much. And because of that, yeah, Star Wars fans love Dennis Muren and, and John Knoll as much as they do Han Solo or Chewbacca. <laughs> they're like almost on equal footing with the, there's like the characters in the movie and there's the behind the scenes people and they're like almost even, they're almost equals. It was so important, too, with creating a sense of community, which, you know, some of the zines did. Like, the zines had addresses where you could contact other fans. But Bantha Tracks was kind of different, where it was so focused on the fans with fan art in every single issue and comics that fans would draw. And they would have, like, what, a yearly contest of fan stories and stuff that we'll get into. Some of them are amazing. But it was for that era, it was the center of the galaxy for Star Wars fandom at that time. Or there was, you know, it was a way for let people know that there's a bigger world out there. And Star Wars fandom, even in the original trilogy era, was a very real thing and kind of like welcome to the crew.
On display here at Mamericon are materials from Star Wars, a major motion picture, and uh, several accompanying materials such as a novel and a comic book series put out by Marvel Comics. We're talking with Charlie Lippincott, who is associated with the production. What can you tell us about the film itself? What sort of what is going on in it? What kind of plot is it? It's well, it's best generalized as a space fantasy film. It's an adventure film. It's a very romantic image, and it probably, uh, it, although not camp, relates heavily to a Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers type of film. It uh, takes place in three different worlds. And it involves a young man who joins forces to fight an imperial galactic government that is ruling a number of solar systems. When will the film come out then? We are projecting right now that it will be Memorial Day, 1977, May 30th. So this is indeed a, a major venture into uh, that realm known as science fiction. Yeah, so how did it all begin? Where did it all start? There was, in the months after the release of Star Wars, even not even the months, even in the weeks, there's a story in uh, Rinsler's book, I believe in the making of Star Wars book, where they talk about how the conventions, like sci-fi and comic conventions in the summer of 77, was like all Star Wars, and people selling and trading bootleg Star Wars stuff that, like... <laughs> stickers like use the force and posters and everything you could possibly but there was nothing available there was just like a poster or two one person kind of in the like a lot of the conventions and going to a lot of the stuff was craig miller who was very involved in los angeles like science fiction convention scene in the 70s and he got on the radar of the late great charlie lippincott who as we all know was the head of marketing and merchandising for Star Wars. Charlie Lippincott, we all know, was responsible for getting the Marvel comics made and the novelization out and the Kenner toys. So Craig Miller and Charlie Lippincott meet up. Lippincott hires Craig Miller as a publicist. He was just out of college. But the big thing with Craig Miller is that he knew like the fandom and he knew the convention crowds he knew the people he knew how to work this thing and so he one of his jobs was organize an official fan club like in the also in that summer 77 people wanted to write carrie fisher and mark hamill and harrison ford like fan letters fan i don't think fan letters are even like a thing anymore now you just like follow someone on instagram or something <laughs> Twitter and if Mark Hamill likes your tweet, you'd go jump out a window. And <laughs> it is that is kind of crazy to think about because it, it did seem like, and I guess it's just because we were little at the time or something like that. That was just a thing. People write letters to people that stars that they like, and maybe they'll write you back. But yeah, does anyone do that anymore? I don't know. They needed something official. One big reason was because now we're getting into like. 78 when things are getting organized and they needed to keep kind of the, the star wars name out there too they needed to keep all these fans that got so into that crazy movie that came out in may of 77 they need to keep people interested and aware and kind of hey there's another one coming out and we're working on it and so july of 78 more than a year after uh, star wars came out the fan club was launched it cost five dollars to join and you got a, like a whole goodie package when you signed up with like a poster with a Macquarie painting of like X-Wing and like the Trent, the Death Star Trench. You got an iron on patch. You got a sticker. You got like a wallet photo of the cast, which of course, would you keep a picture of the Star Wars cast in your wallet? Cause that's your family. <laughs> you got a book cover for when you start school in the fall you want your math book or something with the Star Wars cover? Of course. You got a membership card, which also you can keep in your wallet. If people need to see identification, here's my Star Wars fan club membership card. If you get in an accident, you want the, you know, you want the paramedics to know what to do with you. <laughs> which when they when the fan club was around in like the uh 
early 2000s and like the prequel era and they did like the the membership package and stuff they also had a membership card do you remember i always had my star wars fan club membership card in my wallet yeah you never know when you're gonna need it (laughs) didn't they send like a a wallet-sized darth vader picture at some point too (laughs) yeah yeah, because i had that in my wallet too i think i had that and i don't think i had the membership card but i had the darth vader picture in my wallet Pictures of pictures of your loved ones. Yeah, these are my favorite people, Lord Vader. Yeah, but the, so these first issues, the newsletters were not called Bantha Tracks. They were just called the official Star Wars fan club. And these issues and the the first three were written one hundred percent by Craig Miller. The first issue is four pages. It was black and white. I know the first issue though. It's so charming. Well, they start out with, you know, a George Lucas interview. The man behind Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's not an interview at this point. It's just a a, doc, uh, a biography of the man behind Star Wars, which in 1978, you can't go on Google and figure this stuff out. This is, you know, these are the sacred Jedi texts at that point. Because where else are you going to hear about Electric Labyrinth, THX 1138, 4EB, or... Lucas filming documentary stuff on Finian's Rainbow. The, the basics of knowledge. Here's what you need. Welcome to the Star Wars fan club. These are the things you need to know. You may never see Electric Labyrinth, THX 1038-4EB. Maybe you did. Maybe you were at one of those USC film festivals. Who knows? 1642, try 612. He seems to have an 818. Can you feel this? What's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Four eight one four. I just feel an allergy. Avoid the seven one four and the two three three. If you have a problem, don't hesitate to ask for assistance. Yes, thank you. I'll be all right. Call three four eight five. Now, issue two offered the fan. This is when, like, kind of the merch thing started up, and it offered the amazing pin set with the incredible George Lucas pin. And issue two featured a contest where you could name the fan club newsletter. And I think, didn't the winner get the mugs? Oh, no, second place winner got mug. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the first place winner gets a set of the Star Wars mugs, including the really creepy Obi-Wan Kenobi mug. The second place winner will receive a set of of three of the mugs. And then there was an R2-D2 cookie jar that was given away as a prize also. And yeah, and then in issue four... Where the title, The Empire Strikes Back, is announced, we can thank Preston Postel of Avon, Ohio, that came up with the name Bantha Tracks. And you got to wonder, what were the runners up? Well, Robbie Richardson in British Columbia, Canada, suggested the Comlink, and he got some mugs. And Robert Truax of Memphis, Tennessee, suggested Inside Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He got an R2-D2 cookie jar, and yeah, hmm, very Star Wars insider. We can't forget, though, back in issue two, in the in the section talking about the Star Wars sequel, where they say that the title has not been selected yet, but it will not be Star Wars 2, just to get people ready. But that has a paragraph talking about how the sequel is based on the second of 12 stories in George Lucas's Adventures of Luke Skywalker series. So that was... Pretty early out there putting that 12 stories out there. The Adventures of Luke Skywalker. 12 of them. Just think of that. You've only gotten Star Wars. There's 11 more to go. I'm still waiting for the last three. <laughs> but we do have 12. It's Saga year. We got 12 movies. I guess it's, yeah, if they never make another one, at least we got our 12. We keep getting closer to The Empire Strikes Back. They start putting trivia in some of the issues. We have an interview with Irvin Kirshner. Issue 5, we're introduced to Boba Fett. Kind of by issue 6, we have an interview with Harrison Ford. And there's a really interesting article in issue number 6 where they talk about the Japanese influences of Star Wars. Expanding kind of the knowledge of what influenced these movies, which is so fascinating to think of in 1980, somebody writing an article about the Kurosawa influence of Star Wars at that time. Cause no, you couldn't even go to a video store. Like somebody would be like, what are you even talking about? People that go to film festivals and are in film school 
or go to universities and see films. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's neat thinking about this stuff too and how a lot of the like Star Wars common knowledge that floated around the world can kind of be tr- traced back to somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who was getting Bantha tracks. And then they told their friend and their friend told his older brother and his older brother told his girlfriend who told her little brother who told another kid on the playground. And eventually everyone kind of knew all this stuff somehow. There's going to be 12 movies and it was influenced by these Japanese movies I've never heard of. (laughs) Well, in that same issue, issue number six, there's an interesting thing where they're talking about, again, uh, the, the 12 movies. And there's a thing in there that episode nine if it stays on track, episode nine should be out in about 2001. Yeah. Issue seven, we've got an interview with Anthony Daniels. We're introduced to Lando Calrissian. And issue seven, though, has the infamous number for the Empire Strikes Back 1-800 numbers. Hello, I am C-3PO, and this is the first of a series of messages on the special Star Wars telephone line. Each time one of you on Earth calls this number, you will receive a message giving information on the continuation of the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. After Star Wars, I hoped that all my adventures were over, and R2-D2 wouldn't get us into any more trouble with his secret missions. But in The Empire Strikes Back, it just gets worse. Though I ran into Ben Kenobi and Luke Skywalker, I had myself a pretty good little operation. They wanted a ride to Alderaan, and they're willing to pay enough so I didn't have to ask any questions. The destruction of the Death Star was a major victory for the Rebellion, but our battle isn't over yet. Darth Vader and the evil forces of the Emperor keep a stranglehold over the galaxy, but the Rebel Alliance must and will succeed in forever ridding the galaxy of their scourge. Even now, in our secret underground base on the ice planet Hoth, new strategies are being planned. See for yourself. And the Empire Strikes Back. Another thing that's hard to imagine now that we live in the future, that not only would people write letters to their favorite stars, but you would pay money to dial a number to hear a YouTube video, basically. (laughs) I say they bring it back. I want Mandalorian Season 2 1-800 number. I don't even care. I want to call up. And hear Cara Dune just tell me some nonsense. Hear the Mandalorian like, I had the baby and I thought everything was okay, but it's not. There's people after me every day. Who's this Jedi with tails coming out of her hood? I'm going to go talk to her. You'll find out more in the Mandalorian season two. I mean, the closest thing, I guess, is you still can do this at Disney where you can have like Mickey Mouse call and wake you up in the morning. Or like the Incredible Hulk will call and tell you it's time to eat breakfast. Like that's probably the closest thing they have to this now. <laughs> Why can't I have Nick Nolte cool calling me up and tell me it's time to get up in the morning? I would get to work so much earlier every day if Cool would call up. Hey, why don't you get out of bed? I have spoken, and you better eat some breakfast. <laughs> Make sure the four major food groups are included. A healthy breakfast is the only way to start your day. I don't care how much it costs. I am ready to go. It's time to bring it back. (laughs) All right. So issue eight, uh, we're talking to George Lucas. And uh, he's saying at one point, yeah, there was going to be uh, 12 Star Wars films. Now I think he's kind of backing off from the whole 12 thing and maybe talking about nine. Because, yeah, they asked at one point there were going to be 12 Star Wars films. And George Lucas replies, I cut that number down to nine because the other three were tangential to the saga. Star Wars was the fourth story in the saga and I and was to have been called Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. But I decided people wouldn't understand the numbering system, so we dropped it. For Empire, though, we're putting back the number and we'll call it Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. After the third film in this trilogy, we'll go back and make the first trilogy, which deals with the young Ben Kenobi and the young Darth Vader. Was was that the first plans of the prequel trilogy? Probably people ever read. Maybe. Probably. Who else? Who else is going to ask George Lucas about the movies he hasn't made yet? Is that the one where he talks about nine or the the sequel trilogy? Yeah, and then the next question is, what is the third trilogy about? And this is where he says it deals with the character that survives Star Wars 3 and his adventures. Wait, what? Who? <laughs> so, okay, so 
sequel trilogy is about the character that survives Star Wars 3 and his adventures. Oh. So <laughs> somewhere, somewhere. Do you, do, what, do you think he was just making that up? Like, well, uh, so where, I don't know, Star Wars 3. Probably. <laughs> was this after Empire or before Empire? This, we're, we're still before Empire. Yeah, so that's extra crazy. <laughs> so what was he thinking? What's, what is, who's, what, Luke? No, I, what? Yeah, because this article's kind of crazy because he starts, I mean, he gets, he's talking about Empire. They ask him if, how he thinks Star Wars and Empires compare and he starts talking about how it's a different film. It's rather sad and more of a tragedy and how it's a second act in a play and everything goes wrong. I mean, that doesn't give any details, but that's, you know, that's pretty heavy duty stuff if you haven't seen the movie yet. It's like, wait, what? Huh? <laughs> it's too much information. We're talking about episodes seven, eight, and nine and prequels. Young Ben Kenobi. I still haven't even seen the second one. I mean, the fifth one. Yeah. Well, and he starts talking about the Revenge of the Jedi in here, too. So this this article, this interview in 1980 is Star Wars overload. Yeah, you're hearing about there's nine films. There's a prequel trilogy. There's a third trilogy. And there's a third sequel to Star Wars that's going to come out in 1983. I just imagine someone reading this Bantha Tracks, like so excited, they go out to their mailbox. Oh my God, it's a new issue of Bantha Tracks. And then they read that. And yeah, they just have to just the cloud, just go walk outside for a little bit. I just, I just got to think about some stuff. Just got to go wander the world for a few few weeks before I can go back home. Oh, man. Okay, so the next issue, issue number nine, we have our first reference to a Star Wars collector. Imagine that. John Rios in Modesto, California. And the John's most prized possessions are his Star Wars pencil box, his pencil case, and his bar of R2-D2 soap. And they're asking other collectors to send in their stories. How crazy. Star Wars collectors. I wonder if that'll catch on. I wonder if that'll be a thing. Even more cool than that, there's a whole article on the amazing Phil Tippett and him animating the Tauntaun. Phil Tippett, superstar. 1980, you just saw The Empire Strikes Back. Let's hear about Phil Tippett. Because that's, that's what we need to know about. That's the really important stuff. That's what the kids want to know. Who's that guy with the big beard and the crazy hair? <laughs> That's Phil Tippett's son. He animated the Tauntaun. We need to leave cookies and milk out by the chimney for when Phil Tippett comes to visit us every May. <laughs> so one highlight in the post-Empire uh, era, which there are a lot, but the the what do they call it? There's the yearly creative corner where they celebrate all like poetry and the beginnings of fan fiction and art and everything done by the fans. Again, Bantha Tracks was all about the fans. There's, well, I think it was issue 22 where there's a winning story by Nicole Courtney where where's Nicole Courtney now? We need to talk to her, but what is going on with Nicole Courtney's winning story in issue 22 here? Yeah, her story is called The Dark Lords of the Sith, and it takes place. It's basically the sequel trilogy. It takes place 20 years after Endor, and the Alliance is still battling the Empire. Well, sounds a lot like the sequel trilogy, but there's Lord Lugar and Faber Solo, who is going to Tatooine. He's on vacation from school. Or she, sorry. It, wait, is Faber Solo? Han and Leia's child? Is that what's going on? It doesn't say. <laughs> but I would guess that it, that she's a relative if her name is Faber Solo. Nicole was on the ball. She was looking into the crystal. Yeah, the name's wrong, but pretty close. It, it, over the course of her, her journey, uh, she discovers she has an eccentric stowaway on her ship. The... Uh, Wonderful Professor Tumbleweed. No, Tumbleseed, even. Professor Tumbleseed.
says together they embark on the adventure of their lives. I kept waiting for Professor Tumbleseed to show up in the sequel trilogy. There's the High Republic stuff. Maybe it's all about, you know, all those Jedis run into Professor Tumbleseed. <laughs> Better, please, 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 High Republic. We've got 10,000 books and comics coming out. There's room for Professor Tumbleseed, right? We have. There's another amazing story by Anne Raphael. It was like, I think that was the second place winner. Shaheem, the freshman Latertarian Senate representative, travels to the Old Republic Senate Council to express his planet's concern over the industrialization of their system. Once arrived, he is befriended by a young page named Paul and learns of the various injustices Palpatine plans for the galaxy. That sounds like an episode of The Clone Wars, kind of. <laughs> it really does. And hopefully Paul's in, is uh, named after Paul Stanley. <laughs> Let's hope it's either Paul Stanley or Paul Atreides. But really, what's the difference? You know, it's about the same thing. It's, their stories are very similar. The other thing with this whole creativity contest that's that's really great looking back now, too, is who some of the judges were. Because if you entered in the 2D art category, Joe Johnston was the judge. <laughs> and if you did 3D art, model maker Bill George was the judge. And if you did a model, Lauren Peterson was your judge. Oh, my goodness. You don't get that every day. Who was judging these incredible stories? Maybe it was Lucas. <laughs> he was taking notes. It's like, Professor Tumbleseed. Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna put that away in the old the old noodle. Yep. When I love to in this in this post empire era too, that kind of just like the zines at that time, there was mad Revenge of the Jedi speculation going on. There there's one issue where Sylvia Stevens, who called herself she was a fan, called herself the the self appointed Imperial Census taker. Okay. She lists <laughs> some of the, the major questions or major theories that fans had at the time. This stuff never, ever gets old. Okay, so Vader is a clone of Luke's father. Sure. Hey. We did get uh, Snoke clones, so that's not too far off. Cloning, dark magic, secrets only the Sith know. Hey. Another, why would Obi-Wan lie? Good question. This one's really good. Due to a time shift, Luke is Vader's father. I think that's Looper. <laughs> so maybe a young, a young Ryan Johnson wrote that question in. Vader is Han's father. And then this one's really good. If you can't trust Vader, who can you trust? That's true. I like to think now about that Han one, though, that it's like maybe that really is plausible because it's like, well, maybe Vader can't really see that good with his helmet on. And it's been a long time since he saw his son, so like maybe he thought Luke was Han, and he was just kind of confused. But I like even back then, and that's the thing that like as much as things change in fandom, things stay the same because you know that somebody out there was just like, well, maybe Vader's Han's father, and somebody's like, why has everyone always got to be related to each other? So we were moving on, and we're getting closer to uh, Return of the Jedi. And really, it was Band the Tracks around this time, as we're moving into the Return of the Jedi, was riding so high. It was, had almost 200,000 members in the Star Wars fan club and people getting Band the Tracks. And we got interviews with like Ken Ralston, the people everyone was wondering about. <laughs> people want to know. <laughs> Just amazing. And we were getting so much stuff about, like, after Return of the Jedi, so much Temple of Doom stuff, so much stuff about the Ewok movies. Like, if you were just getting Bantha tracks, you would think the Ewok movies were just as big of a deal as Return of the Jedi, which, you know, hey, maybe they were. I think they were. Yeah. <laughs> I know they were for us. It's it's the only movie I ever turned turn my stereo on to watch with. <laughs> yeah, never we say it all the time. We can say it again. When the Ewok movie when the first Ewok movie was aired on TV, if you had if you wanted to listen to it in stereo, it was brought the soundtrack, all the audio was on the radio. Like your mom, my parents were officially thinking their kids were insane while we're watching TV with headphones on with the radio playing. And you know, the coolest of the cool kids 
were driving around cruising in their car, just listening to Caravan of Courage in their stereo. <laughs> Imagine someone flipping the radio and they just got a little bit of 1984 rock and then just turning and, you know, you hear the magical fantasy adventures of Sindel and the Ewoks. You go park somewhere quiet, trying to make out, put on put on some romantic music, and it's just Caravan of Courage. So post Jedi, the 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 numbers of the the fan club started to dwindle. Like it got to a point where there were just like about five thousand members. Bantha tracks kept going though, and we were talking about Labyrinth and Howard the Duck and Captain EO and Star Wars and Bantha tracks would get kind of crazy. Issue number thirty four was just all about sound design and sprocket systems. And instead of an issue, they sent you like a floppy 45 record that you would play. That's this crazy Ben Burt psychedelic fever dream. <laughs> sprocket systems. Distinctive by design. Baker 61, by David, design. take two. By design. Camera. By design. Marker. By design. And Action. Sprocket System Sound Library, Laser Sword Tape, Dolby Tone. Magnetic Reference Laboratory, Reproducer Test Tape, 1000 Hertz at Reference Fluxivity. And then the issue 36 was the final issue where they were saying that uh, Star Wars was taking a break and so would Bantha Tracks and... I don't know. It's 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 kind of amazing too that like throughout all these issues too, there was all this incredible exclusive merch being sold in Bantha Tracks too, like posters that no one has ever seen before, and like T-shirts and patches and anything you could ever imagine that is incredibly awesome. Star Wars was you could just order for a couple bucks from the issue of Bantha Tracks because you were a member of the Star Wars fan club. And even before before they ended, they had a contest, like the most crazy Star Wars contest ever, where all you had to do was send in a postcard, and you got prizes. Like the fifth place prize, if just randomly picked if you sent in a postcard, was a piece of the actual Death Star Trench. Fourth place also got a piece of the actual Death Star Trench. Third place, you got an actual bunker model from Return of the Jedi, Second place, you got a piece of C-3PO's costume. And first place, you got C-3PO's hand. I, I hope the person who won 3PO's hand wore 3PO's hand to see Attack of the Clones. <laughs> and then after the movie was done, just ran up and down the aisles holding everyone's hand with his C-3PO hand. If I won C-3PO's hand, I would still to this day have a business card. Yes, I am the person that won C-3PO's hand. And, and your hand, your real hand would be all misshapen and shrunken because you would be wearing 3PO's hand every day since 1985 when you won it or 87 whenever it, they gave that away. I haven't washed my hand in 20 years. The one unsung hero in the history of Bantha Tracks, though, is... Maureen Garrett, who she's an unsung hero for Bantha Tracks and for Star Wars history overall. Maureen Garrett was the editor of Bantha Tracks, I believe, for the longest time. She came on board when she was at a meeting of the Los Angeles Science Fiction Society in early 1979. And Craig Miller was there where he said he was looking for more people to work on the fan club. And he had two positions open. 50 people applied, and Maureen Garrett got the job. And she was already a fan, and she started working on Bantha Tracks on the fifth issue. And by 1981, she was the director of the fan club, a job she held until March of 86. And she was kind of coming in, though, right when Star Wars fandom was getting hot, was getting crazy. And the the speculation and the theories we're coming in, and it's like, okay, this is the thing. We're getting into The Empire Strikes Back, and there was the holiday special. Things are getting wild and crazy. And in 82, she was on the set of Return of the Jedi doing interviews, and she did a, a legendary interview with David Prowse that's talked about in Rinsler's book, where Prowse is really mad because he knows nothing about the plot of Return of the Jedi, and he wanted his face on the screen when they take off the mask at the end. 
And I think it was late, like in that same period of time, she was at a convention and David Prowse was a guest. This Unicon was a sci-fi convention. And David Prowse told the whole crowd, this is May 82, I believe, told the whole crowd about Ewoks. He's like, these little teddy bears, they're called Ewoks in the movie. (laughs) And so Maureen Garrett had to get on the phone and call Lucasfilm and was like, Prowse just spilled the beans on Ewoks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, in, in early 83, Maureen Garrett was out being the rep from Lucasfilm and going to sci-fi conventions and showing, having like, hey, go to this sci-fi convention, this Comic-Con, whatever, and there's going to be a presentation from Lucasfilm about Return of the Jedi. Like, could you even imagine? I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I would have never made it to see the movie. Just that, that, just that would have done me in. She did Phoenix, Arizona. She did Chicago. She did San Diego, L.A., and San Francisco. So Maureen Garrett, where she was mentioned briefly again in our Zine episode last year, where she she sent letters to all the fanzine publishers because of there was this controversial fanfic story, the infamous slow boat to Bespin, like shipping was starting in the zines, and there were a lot of stories that were considered like X-rated or R-rated by Lucas. And there there was a whole thing where Lucasfilm was trying to, they said they wanted all these zines that were related to Star Wars sent to Lucasfilm and they read everything that was coming out, which all just sounds so insane now to think about. So she has, she sent letters to all these Star Wars zines saying you can't publish in your fanzine any Star Wars stories that are aren't basically PG or G rated, and that just sends shockwaves through the Star Wars fan community, as you can totally imagine. And those fires never really went out. It's all it's all really well documented. It started this whole completely angry people writing about it in their scenes, writing letters to her back and forth. But yeah, then in the in that eighty three Return of the Jedi contour, people were asking her about it, and she said that she had talked to a lot of these zine publishers and zine writers, and she even tells a story about how she bonded with one of them over deep dish pizza. But I don't, it's just amazing to think about that she had to do that in the beginning, and being such a direct voice. With these zine writers and these publishers, these extremely passionate fans talking directly to the 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 head of the the fan club and all that, it's like we said early on, the more things have changed in Star Wars fandom, the more they've stayed the same. <laughs> you know there's yeah, and it's it's just always fun to realize how much things haven't changed and are really this have always been the same, and it's just. It was just a little slower back then because you had to send your message through the mail or print it out as opposed to just typing it on the internet. But the the content and the discussions and the hard feelings have always been there and, and always will be. And the passion. <laughs> so after the end of Bantha Tracks, the subscribers were handed over to uh, the independent publisher, the great Dan Madsen, who launched... The, the Lucasfilm Fan Club magazine and Dan Madsen uh, ran the, the official Star Trek fan club, which started not too long after Panther Tracks, kind of right around the same time as Wrath of Khan. They started an official Star Trek fan club magazine. And the, the official Lucasfilm Fan Club magazine was a quarterly magazine, started in 1987. And then in 94, it was renamed Star Wars Insider. Kind of just like Bantha Tracks, that filled that same role for years in the, the Star Wars era before the internet. And just like Bantha Tracks, Insider had an amazing merchandise catalog and incredible articles and interviews with only the best people that everyone cares about. And in Insider, we started to get prequel updates from Rick McCallum, and it just kept on going. Well, and then even after Insider, you know, kind of led into like when StarWars.com was first starting out, and there was there was hyperspace, which hyperspace for a while was the the official Star Wars fan club, and kind of like you'd get Bantha Tracks kind of stuff, but 
online and I don't know, the hyperspace era was a truly golden, golden, golden era. Introducing StarWars.com Hyperspace. You don't have to do this to impress me. Giving you all new features and exclusive content. It's a Star Wars experience you can't get anywhere else. Best of all, the stuff you love at StarWars.com is still free. But hyperspace takes you beyond. Here's where the fun begins. Jump to exclusive services. Your own Star Wars email address, special events, and offers. Jump to ultimate access. Exclusive set diary and live webcam from a set of episode three. The first online availability of the Clone Wars animated series shorts. That looks pretty good. And the never-before-seen deleted sequence from Episode 2, Jedi Assault on the Droid Control Ship in its original rough-cut form. Someone's got to shut down these droids! And much more. This baby's got a few surprises left in her sweetheart. StarWars.com Hyperspace. But it's neat that really everything Star Wars fan-oriented, its template is Bantha Tracks. And everything that's come sense is has that bantha tracks dna i mean even the star wars show is like a video version of bantha tracks well and even star wars celebration is really like a live action version of bantha tracks because there's a little bit from lucasfilm a little bit about the stars a little bit about the behind the scenes people like it's kind of that whole that mixture of i really love this thing i want to know all about it and i want to know about the fantasy world and I want to know about the real world that made this fantasy world and that kind of that mixture never went away. It's totally true. Like this the spirit yeah, the spirit of Banthatrax lives on in the Star Wars show and Kristen Bavers like this week in Star Wars updates on YouTube and everything and celebration keeps the spirit alive too with being so fan focused and fan creations and Oki and his sushi carvings doing a panel and fan run panels that are amazing or the podcast stage or giant fan props that are built that you can get your picture taken in and walk around in and the 501st and the rebel legion and the Mandalorian Mercs and all the things that have come since the era of Bantha tracks. Like those are such huge parts of celebration too. And, yeah, the spirit lives on, and what what Craig Miller did and started, you know, led to what Mary Franklin and Steve Sansui and Dan Madsen created for Celebration. It's it's all part of the big circle, and the passion and the spirit of everything is all still out there. I think one of the key factors in the uh, success is that it's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. All right, so you know the deal. 
Apple Podcast Reviews. If you're listening to this on something Apple and you want to go write us a little review over there and say something nice about the show, we'd love it. We love seeing them. It makes us so happy. And it helps the show in totally mysterious Luke is also Darth Vader's father's kind of way. Cloning. I really like that idea that now that it's evolved to Luke is actually Darth Vader's father, not Luke is his own. Wait, was that, is that how it always was? Or was it Luke? Luke is his own father. Now he's his father's father. Luke is his own father. Darth Vader is nobody. But then the sequel trilogy twists it around, and now Luke is his grandfather. <laughs> Luke's his own grandfather, because Luke is Vader's father. And, that, and that's what happened. And after you wrap your brain around that... Don't forget to check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're on all of that. And if you're on Facebook, sign up for the Super Chill Group so you can enjoy Blast Points hijinks 24-7. And yeah, and if you want to support the show in a different way, we have got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon, where we've got all the episodes we did on the Disney Gallery, Mandalorian show, and we just got one more. I'm sad to see it go. It's been a ride, babe. <laughs> but that about wraps up episode number 222, Bantha Tracks, the birth of the Star Wars fan club. It's fascinating stuff. Fascinating. <laughs> well, and if, if, you know, we might not get Star Wars Celebration this year, but you can always go online and find all these old bantha tracks and just read one a day through august and it's like have your own little private star wars celebration it's true it's true it's true it's a great way to make your way through real real star wars history is um through the eyes of the fans and all those early days and um yeah for 222 here thanks for listening we'll be back next week with some more fun, some serious fun. So, thanks everybody. Bye bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Star Wars theme. One, two, three, go.